The dates for the next Million Dollar Sundays are locked in. Wondering what a million bucks looks like? Every Sunday in October, America's Car Groom is putting $1 million guaranteed on the table. On Sunday, October 4th, 11th, 18th, and 25th, we're bringing our famous Million Dollar Sunday, a $1 million guaranteed poker tournament with a gigantic $200,000 cash prize for first place. Don't miss out on your biggest payday yet. AmericasCardGroom.com Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 61 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardGroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardGroom.com, simply sign up for your account using one of the adverts or links on the OneOuter.com webpage. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group. Facebook group is Facebook group. No, it's not. It's Facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. Uh, this episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to get questions in for Alex, send them into questions at OneOuter.com or tweet them or post them on the Facebook group. Alex, episode 61, that's us sort of heading towards the, the 100 mark. Um, can you believe we've done 61 of these now? Uh, I felt every minute of it. It is so excruciating <laughs> to be with you, Barry. No, no, actually, I can. These are pretty fun to do, and it's just kind of, I'm always just waking up in the morning, so by the time they're done, I'm I'm like, oh, wow, that was quick. And then, yeah, you know, 61, my God, it's <laughs> a lot, That's actually. 61, and they are always over an hour. Yeah, so, and some of them are like an hour and a half or whatever. So you'd say like maybe 70 to to 75 to 100 hours that doesn't include the previous times you were on as a guest for like you know the in-depth when i used to interview like uh all the other poker players and you know you were one of the early guys i had on it was like hour and a half i had you on a couple of times yeah, actually. You so, did. yeah probably over 100 hours of alex content on onehour.com now people should listen to the first interview because that's when i was detoxing like up in a cabin in bum f nowhere uh, Costa Rica, and I was like chain smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. And you get somebody played like a piece of it the other day. I was like, man, I sound, I don't sound too good. <laughs> like I just, I, I, it's, I mean, obviously I was lucid and everything because I was sober, but like it is very clear I am like, uh, I don't know, like I'm not, I'm not at my hottest at that point. So it's like it's interesting if you're a real fan of this show. The first. Uh, Barry was probably one of the best interviews I had too. I've had uh, a lot of times people show up and it's like, yeah, man, you know, uh, what was it like growing up in Alaska? And it was like, I didn't grow up in Alaska. I was born in Alaska. I worked in Alaska. Okay, that's great. So Anchorage, man, what's the deal? You know, it's like, uh, but yeah, you, Barry actually knew his facts. Yeah, I, I remember. I I need to actually listen to the first one we did as well because God, that was. That must be 2010 or 11. Yeah, that's a while. So yeah. it's like four years at least, I would say. Uh, yeah, because like I started the site in 2010, uh, the end of 2010, round about this time, October, November. Um, I had Jungle Man on and then Helmuth. And then I think it was you, I think. I think. I'm not sure. Oh, man, that was. Um, doesn't seem that long, but wow. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I remember just like going into. I was still playing live at the time, and I'd go into the casino and like people were. I remember this one guy saying to me, uh, 
oh, that guy you had on, Alex uh, Assassinato, he's, he's fucking nuts. He was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was like, yeah, hey, Barry, uh, Chammer, Mr. Chammer's uh, sir. You know? <laughs> and they were like laughing. So, yeah, definitely go back and listen to that. Um, you'll need to go way back. So I think iTunes only filters like last 100 shows or last 90 shows or something. So... Um, you'll need to maybe just go to the onehour.com website. They're all on that. If you just go to podcast episodes and then click right back like through the blog pages to like the very start, you'll, you'll come across it. Um, you have to call Cav Math and say, I want this, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want this with original circuit episodes from yeah. <laughs> Cardfire I, in 2000. I, I, did, I did that to him, and he got in touch with me, and he got me like original. Whoa. What was it? Yeah, it was like original Full Tilt ones. Some people were on it. I think it was Chip Reese and something. Oh, but I was cool. I was wanting the show that you spoke about when Haralbos was a host oh, that and was, someone else. That was Big Poker Sundays. I think that was on Poker Road. Yeah, I that was, was wanting incredible. them. I couldn't find them. He said, he said he had them. He was sure he had them on like some hard drive or some CD-ROM somewhere. Yeah. But um, he couldn't... He, I'll, I'll need to actually tweet him and see if he ever did come across them because I never heard one of them. The original the original show that all those guys came from was... Uh, it was like Card Player did a podcast and it was like... It's so bizarre. Like, I imagine... Like, I used to go to sleep like listening to this, right? Like in 2006, and it's just, it's so weird. I bet it's so weird to listen to it now because there's a lot of players just complaining about how bad they run and, you know, like <laughs> how hard it is to be a poker player, you know, and then they, it, it, well, they were complaining, and like back then the money was just like, I mean, I was back there, like you did not need to know much to make a lot of money at poker because I sure did not know that much, right? And then, it's it, it it's really it was like Scott Huff's like first thing and it was it, it was interesting also just to like hear you know like uh, it's just weird to hear these guys like young and then there was like really in depth interviews with guys that just typically didn't give in depth interviews like Chip Reese and Doyle Brunson and Ivy and it was cool and then it just like disappeared and it's gone and now you guys have one outer so it's all better yeah that's it that is it. Um, although Chip Reese won't be appearing. Ah, poor guy, Russ and Pete. I always wanted to do, way back when I was doing, like, when I was going one way with the site, like I was getting, you know, the big guests on. I had, like, Helmuth, the Greenstein, um, uh, Jungle Man, Alex, you know, just throwing you in there because you're on the line. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had all these big superstars on. And I remember, like, I got shitload of publicity with the Barry Greenstein one because he was speaking about, like, Phil Ivey phoning him up, like, shouting down the phone about the full tilt thing and stuff. And, like, it went viral and lots of poker places shared it and the site was getting, like, crazy hits. And then I was thinking, like, my night, I was like, oh, I wonder, like, Halloween, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do, like, a, a seance special. I'm going to have, like, I'm going to have, like, Stu Unger from the grave and Chip Reese and stuff. And, like, be really, like, sick saying this and then I, I thought against it, and didn't I, it I think you could I, I might do it this Halloween yeah <laughs> well I think I, I think you could do that with Stu Unger because like we've all decided he's a cautionary tale you know what I mean but yeah, like yeah. I think the Chip Reese one you're gonna you know yeah I that, think you'll get backlash yeah yeah, yeah. It, Stu did did God fix your nose in heaven 
or did yeah. you just have to keep it? <laughs> like, but yeah. Well, I was going to do it like I'm coming down, speaking about like the kids now playing on Poker Stars and this and that and whatever. And but yeah, I just thought, nah, I can't do a good enough Stu Unger impression. So I, I mean, it. man, that guy. Was... The funniest thing is if you watch like Stu Unger's like final tables, right? He would open to like seven x, eight x, nine x, ten x, and like nobody would play with him, and he'd do it like every hand, right? Then you're watching yeah. Jerry Yang in 2007 or whatever it was. He's opening to 8x, 10x, whatever. And they were like, whoa, who is this idiot? You know, and it's yeah. like, I, I was like, I don't think you guys ever watched Unger play. Like, and then, and there was another, like, not, I mean, not to like crap on the legend, but like, you never saw the guy make a big fold. Like, he just never made a big fold, like ever. It was like, I have a pair I call, right? But like, he was just smashing people so much back then. He could do that, right? It's interesting because I, I love to play with these guys these days. It's just like EA Sports, like, knockout kings, you know what I mean? It's like, would Muhammad Ali have beaten Joe Lewis? You know what I mean? I want to know how Stu Unger would have done these days. I, th I think he would have figured out, like, you know, he was a sharp, sharp enough guy. He would have figured out a strategy that worked then. And I wasn't, like, yeah. meaning to, I mean, work now. But, like, and I'm not trying to diss Unger. I, I was just saying, like, it's funny. He used this strategy that won him three WSOPs. And then you watch Jerry Yang use it to apparently great effect. And everybody's just, like, crapping on it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like one of these guys is, like, you're legend. You're, you're legend. Uh, you're, you're legend again. I shouldn't have. But, like, he's just some exalted former piece of history. But, yeah, anywho. Uh, my yeah, it's, it's it's quite funny. The sorry, Alan. No, go ahead, go go go. My bad, my bad. Go ahead. I just I I was going to mention this a few weeks ago, and I don't mean to be ignorant. I mean the guy's dead. Who am I to talk about? <laughs> and I I don't I don't mean to be insensitive. And it was really soon as well. But um, just like I I I forget some names in like recent poker and that, and I can't remember the guy's name. What was the guy that died recently? The online player. Um, uh, little Holder. Little Hold'em, right? Yeah, yeah. Little Hold'em. I watched an interview with him. They must have put it up on, like, Car Player or something, you know, it was, like, about his death, the article. And I swear, Alex, watching this interview, he was being interviewed at, like, a break of some tournament from, like, a couple of years ago, and he was just, the way he was talking about hands and this and the enthusiasm, I swear it's like, it was exactly like the Stu Unger uh, interviews that he used to give when you know like oh, they're playing wow. outside and like Helmuth speaking to him at the break and it's like he doesn't even care the camera's there he's just like yeah did you see the bet the guy did on like the tunnel I didn't under you know he's just so yeah, yeah. Every, he's just living and breathing every hand and decision and it was spooky how close to like stay under this guy That's was because like I'd never watched an interview with this little Holden before and I'd just seen it and I was like shit like this guy is just like so into like he's on the break and he's like yeah, this and that, you know, this card and this was amazing and that was amazing. You know, every little detail of the hand, he was just like, it was, it was spooky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, he's keyed into. Well, it's, uh, it, it, uh, you know, a lot of us, I mean, like, we, we got brought up. They, I don't know, they'd always bring us up in the same breath. I guess, I guess there's not many online players that didn't come, like, from a pretty nice socioeconomic status. And, uh, they always, uh, it, I mean, even like, you know, the guys from like Eastern Europe that, you know, perhaps they don't make a lot compared to maybe their European counterparts. But, you know, they live in a home with their families and it's nice. And then, you know, they bring up little Holden and me in the same sentence. 
which I always thought was ridiculous because Little Holden was just like killing the online game, right? And not I was never doing that, right? And like you just couldn't beat this guy when he started. But like as I got sober and like things started going better for me, and then you know I unfortunately it wasn't going well for him. I just remember thinking like, God, if this guy could get sober, man. Like if this guy, yeah. you know, because he did die from the alcohol. I was, I was thinking oh. like, God, you know, and it's just such a. Like, just as a fan of the game, it's, like, such a loss. You know what I mean? There's only – you can only get so good a lot of different players. You know what I mean? And, like, when I was young, I remember people saying he's running above expectation and stuff. But if you played a final table with that guy, there's very few guys that have given me a harder time. Like, his timing was impeccable when he mm-hmm. was on. Like, when he was on, I so rarely saw him do a bad rejam or a – you know, he was just really on point, right? I mean, yeah. like, just absurd. Like, we played live in Los Angeles one time, and I remember he, like, he showed me, like, I had second pair, and he turned, like, third pair into a bluff, and he bet, like, 27% of the pot, which he knew was exactly how much I was going to fold to, because I assumed he was value betting top pair. And then he showed me the third pair with glee, like, mm-hmm. knowing he had bluffed me. And I was like, how do you know? You know, like, I just, it is not fair that you just know I'm going to fold second pair there. Like, because that's not something, you know, and I, I like, I, I consider myself, like, machine-made when it comes to poker. Like, just every machine that could have uh, propped up, like, a normal talent, or any talent, uh, if I have it, which I don't really believe I do, you know. And then, you know, you're playing with a guy, and you have, like, all the machinery and all that crap, and it's just, like, you have like, just hand after hand go like that. And it's not like I didn't take pots off of him. You know what I mean? But, like, he was, man, like, when he was on, like, he, he was so good. And then, you know, and I don't know anything about, I don't know, like, you know, people always want to bring up, but like, you know, what about his personal life? And it's like, well, man, you know, I, I don't know anything about that. I can't confirm anything about that. And that I'm a poker player. I have to analyze his poker game, and that's all I'm really talking about. And, like, you know, uh, you, you let the rest of the world deal with his, uh, you know, perhaps like what his difficulties with life. And he, uh, man, I just, I really wish, you know, like someone could have got to him, you know what I mean? It's the same thing with Stu Unger. Doyle Brunson offered to put Stu Unger in treatment, you know, and I just, yeah. wonder, I just wonder like if that happened, you know what I mean? Like I, just as it, there's not many people I like to watch play poker. I think, like, I'm a huge snob when it comes to poker because, and it's not really, I, I mean, it's just, it's the same thing as if I imagine if you're like a writing professor and like you've been studying good writing for a decade, you'll just see the shortcomings of so many people so quickly, right? But there's yeah. very few people I would have liked to watch and like I would have loved to have seen Stu Unger this day and age and I would have loved to have seen a sober little Hold'em, but you know, rest in peace. They belong yeah. to the ages now. Yeah, it would, it would have been fun. Um, okay, so last week we spoke about uh, you making the final table on America's Card Room while I was away, and we forgot to mention. Well, you actually told me about it. I was, we were, me and Alex were talking after the show, and I was sort of saying, "Oh, how many runners did it get?" And you were like, "Oh, fifteen runner, fifteen hundred runners." And oh, did, oh, I forgot to mention there was like a two hundred k overlay, and I yes, couldn't sir. believe it. 
So uh, t- tell us about that and like maybe put it in perspective for people like what like opportunities and stuff like that mean. I mean, there obviously are sponsors and we want you guys to play on them and stuff, but just for a pure financial reason, like why you should play on them, like if you could like explain to people uh, like 200k overlay. I mean, forget the fact they're even our sponsors. I, I mean, it's. Well, I mean, like, I've been, uh, since the last, like, three, four years, I've been wanting to play on the American sites because the American sites are a lot like the French sites or any site where people are just acting like, you know, it's gambling. You know, there's just, there's a lot of money, like, flowing around. And I was always thinking, like, God, if somebody could really get their software and infrastructure, like, really set up here, there's, like, a big opportunity. And America's Cardroom did that. And one of the things they're doing is like they're they're like the million dollar tournaments coming back. In fact, we're gonna put four in a month, and we're gonna see how that happens, right? You know, we're gonna see if that works. And if they, it comes to overlays, it comes to overlays, which I you know I like that because that's like old school like Benny Binion stuff. You know? Yeah, right, yeah. Man? We'll take the bet. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna <laughs> take the bet. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get this move and come hell or high water. And it's like you know. Obviously, you could have your qualms with that strategy, but at the same time, I, uh, I, I really I respect that, you know, they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is, and they're like, you know, if it doesn't make it, we're going to get the guarantee, right? And, uh, you know, and there, there's this odd habit of, like, poker stars and all their billions of dollars. I hate to crap on poker stars so much, but they piss me off on so many levels. And it's like... It, it's absurd how to this day on stars you'll play something with a 5k guaranteed and the prize pool is regularly like $22,000, right? Yeah. And they'll just be, you know, and you're kind of like, hey, would you like to raise that guarantee to 10000 Because maybe they'll get a few more punters. It's like, no, nope, man, I can't take the risk. Uh, you know, you, one day it could just drop by 70% that attendance and yeah. we'd have to pay out $300 from our $3 billion, <laughs> right? And it's a, that really pisses me off. And it's like when there's a 200K overlay, you're not paying rake. You're getting like a, you could play like break even poker and still have like a positive ROI, right? And then uh, a really nice positive ROI. And this, I mean, I just, I'm really thrilled to be like working with a site. I'm really uh, proud of, like I, I've worked, you know, I was contracted to like design a site a long time ago. Right. And it was just BS thing after BS thing coming up, you know, and it's like dealing with like dealing with people that are in this for the money is really difficult. Right. Because those guys don't get poker players. And these guys are, they're just like, you know, when I talk to them they, you know, they're so into it as fans and they're like, we want million dollar tournaments. Let's do this. And it's like, it's that kind of passion. I think that's really, you know, and you're starting to see it. Like the fields are swelling, you know what I mean? So if you want to get on those overlays, you have to do it now. And it's, uh, I, I don't, I, I mean, I, obviously I like them because I final tabled the last like million final table. But the other thing is like people just punt in these, man. Like, I mean, I, I was playing Amer- on America's card room the other night. I was on a final table. It was like a, I, I think it was a one Oh nine or something. <clears throat> like or a 55 like pretty decent prize pool a couple grand for first guy like moves on all in under the gun i re-raise all in with a ace queen king three suited calls both of us for like you know like that's the kind of stuff you see on that site and that's at final tables and stuff like that and the satellite the satellites for the million are crazy like they're uh i'll even add an incentive here like i've won two of these seats right 
I want to uh, yesterday and today I want two, you know, like fifty dollar buy-ins, and I want to see to the five forty million and uh, two two out of three, right? And it wasn't even really that hard. It's just like people don't understand like multi-table MTT strategy. And uh, uh, if you want to learn more about that, you can Google PokerNews.com, uh, Alexander Fitzgerald, uh, multi-table uh, uh, sats and uh, or, or, uh, satellite, satellite entries. And it's uh, I'll, I'll sweeten the pot here. If you guys uh, if you guys make it into the million and you play, and you write us at assassinoutcoaching at gmail dot com, I will reward you with a recorded class of mine. Either. You know, even if you signed up already, we got that other deal where it's like if you sign up and deposit, you write us with your sign-in name and your email address, we'll give you the, you know, a copy of that's a check rates fool dissecting the donk that you flat too much or why Pisagnos, right? But if you get into the million or just register the million with your own money because you feel like it, you know, you pre-register and you play uh, and you write and tell us about it, you know, we'll send you one of these webinars. It's uh. Let's get the whole team up, Barry. Let's do it, nice. man. Yeah, let's nice. do it. Yeah, <laughs> woo, get it in. <laughs> that's our that's our Halloween special. Yeah. Our... I always, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> so what we'll do is uh, let, let's let, after crapping on poker stars. I believe you won a tournament last night. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me talk, <laughs> let me talk about that. Uh, it was pretty cool. I won the six max hundred R on uh poker stars and uh it went pretty dreamlike so yeah that was uh i I don't know what to say about it because it's just one of those things like when you win i i hate to keep crapping on stars tournaments but it's like (laughs) when you win a stars tournament i never know what i really did that was that good you know what i mean it's just kind of usually it's like hey i won my flips i'm so sick right and that's not really stars's problem it's just you know there's really good players there and even if the players that aren't so good, they they know the way to, like, make sure I can't take advantage of them is to just shove all in. And then yeah. I have to call and get there. And anyways, I did a bit of that. And this was actually a cool final table. You guys, if you're a Twitch subscriber, and really you can watch the Twitch every night for free. But if you are, like, you know, I know some of you guys are, like, at work or something. You're allowed to, like, watch TV. Like, if you subscribe for, like, four ninety nine, you can check it out for, like, 60 days, all the recording. Like, that final table was, like, really fun. Up until that final table was just, like, standard operating procedure, winning flips. But I had a Chinese and a Japanese player at my table, and I told them, you know, it's a completely different game when it's guys from a newer market, right? It's a completely different game, right? Because they're going to just do random things. Actually, sometimes they can play better against, like, a good player. Because, like, you know, like, if you sit down at a poker table and, you know, I don't know, like, some standard reg is there, you'll have an idea as to what he's doing, right? But, like, the Chinese and Japanese, like, newer players just kind of do what they feel like. And sometimes, I was discussing with the Chinese national, like a lot of these stats are really hard to take advantage of because the guy's like trying to balance a lot of the time. So it was a really interesting final table in that, you know, I had the, uh, the Japanese player, I kind of cooler the living crap out of like, I, I turned to flash. He had three of a kind. He made a call where it was like, the board was like three, four, four blank, like three hearts. And I shoved the turn, and we were like 100x deep, and there were like 330x stacks at the final table. So we should not be playing a big pot, right? 
if we play a big pot, like we walk around the table and like, here's $200 to you, uh, 350 to you, sir. And like, just, it, it doesn't even matter what happens. Like that much equity in the middle is going to, uh, we're just going to give out money to everybody. But yeah, he called me with like four, seven, which, you know, I understand that's like when you start playing poker, that's, you know, it's like, well, I have three of a kind. I have to call. But it's like I'm not jamming that turn without a flush or a better four. And, yeah, and I held. And, yeah, that was pretty. And then uh, the Chinese player heads up was I just felt bad because I've been, like, I, I've been playing against, like, guys from newer markets, like, my whole life. And I just felt like I was just, you know, <laughs> I was. Well, the other thing is, like, with, with the Chinese players, I always picture, like, some poor guy like in his factory where he takes back takes apart old <laughs> intel parts and when he's putting down the soldering iron on top of it there was like a noxious fume of purple smoke and you know infatuating <laughs> his eyes and as he looks at the you know as he looks at the infected rivers where he uses technological waste to supplement his family's meager income he decides to play poker stars and Assassinato decides to drop kick him in the nuts. But the truth is, is this was probably some wealthy national who's working the system. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was uh, taking uh, – by the way, like, you, you were just uh, – I mean, like, uh, a lot of people uh, – a lot of my friends that were in China, they were like – I mean, a lot of people – a lot of my friends who came back from China, they're like, man, you can't build a business there. You don't know if, like, the state's just going to take it at some point. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm the Godfather now. That's how I speak. Well, you sound, I was going to say you sound like Tony Robbins when you're close like that. <laughs> it's like wake up, it's a wonderful day. You know, like, that's, that's exactly what it sounds. That's what it sounded like. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, the heads up, like uh, the heads up, like just everything went my way. Every one of my plays went well, and it was a, it was a fun day. The last like three, I played I played poker Wednesday, Tuesday, and Sunday, and I think we had. We had five final tables. We won two million dollar seats. I took third in a seventy five turbo. I took second uh, on eight eight eight. I took second in a. I took second in a fifty dollar MTT on America's Card Room. I won a twelve dollar turbo on eight eight eight, which I loved because you know it was just one of those like look what I'll grind, kids, you know. <laughs> and then uh. Uh, what was the, I, I final tabled, you know, some other tournaments and, uh, I, I final tabled like a 109 on, uh, I think it was a, I think it was a 109 on 888. And then, yeah, to cap it off with, uh, the hundred R win, it was, it, it felt pretty good. You know what I mean? It feels, yeah. I, I made some new goals for myself. I, I decided like, yo man, I haven't, I, I talked about this on the stream last night, but like, maybe I can talk about it a bit more here. It's, uh. I realized, like, when I was, like, 18 or whatever, like, I would make these, like, lists of, like, what's my mission for, like, the next year, right? In my mission, when I was, uh, you know, I was on Casino Road, and it was, uh, you know, SWAT was hitting her block every three weeks, and it was, like, no heating, no plumbing. You know, I, I, that was a pretty basic goal, which was get out of here, you know? <laughs> like, and yeah. uh, not that that place was bad. Like, the family... I was living with was pretty cool. And by the way, like it never gets that bad in like Washington state. Right. Like you're all right. But my, like my goal was to like get out of there. And I found it like, I used to call them like operation. Right. And it was like operation summer of overload because that was some metal song that I was listening to. And, uh, 
it was like, it was just stuff like, I'm going to go pick up like the base. I'm going to pretend to be a human being. Right. So it was like, at that point, all of my clothes were like, you know, they were, they were like old metal shirts. Like literally they were like misprinted metal shirts that somebody gave away for free, like shirts with like video games on them. They're all like two sizes too big and stuff. And like, I was like, you know, I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to get some basics for like an actual apartment, you know, and I'll move to an apartment in Seattle. And then my big step up was to move to the, the apartment in Seattle where, which used to be a hotel, but they had to change it to an apartment complex because too many guests were killing themselves off the, off the freeway, you know, just pulling in off the freeway. And they said, this looks like a good place for that. Nice, nice big jump from the top floor. But yeah, and I was like, man, I haven't made an operation in a while, man. I haven't like put it together. So like last Sunday, I like, you know, I was doing the math and I was like, I'd like to be working optional at 30, right? So I, I, would, I would just like, you know, I would, I'm probably going to keep playing poker my whole life, but I don't want to have to keep playing poker, right? So I was trying to figure out how much money I would need for that. And I'm not going to get into my finances, but I do owe like back taxes and like, you know, there's always like expenses that come up. Last couple of years have been pretty expensive when it comes to like MTTs. You know what I mean? Like you just can't play like 10Ks and uh, over and over again and not, you know, get a cash and not like hurt your income, right? Or what yeah. your operating capital needs to be. But I was thinking like, you know, it, my ROI, shark scope across all sites, you know, over all time. And I, I'm sure this is a bit low because. Obviously, I've been hurt by the horrible structures of poker stars. Like, I, I got a show on the doll where poker stars touch me. But uh, it, it, there's, like, also, like, there's, you know, the years I couldn't remember, like, you know, I was boozing and I didn't know what country I was in. And that reflects your ROI. But let's say it's, like, 20%. It's like, well, man, if you're, uh, you know, four, if you do four sessions a week, AK and buy-ins, that's 1600 a week and two Two and two point three years. That's two hundred thousand in profit, and it's like, well, man, you know, that's what you got to aim for. And once I had that mission, I was like, all right, I'm getting back into this. And you know what, man, that AK and buy-ins, I'm gonna do that in as small of buy-ins as I possibly can. I'm talking twenty-five euro tournaments on iPoker. I'm talking fifties on ACR. And it's like, man, it's just like final table after final table. It's fun, man. It's like when I started, and it's just. Just like when I started, I'm playing all the metal albums and crap. I'm, like, drinking energy drinks. I'm jogging too damn much. But, like, more for fun out of anything just so I can listen to my music. And, yeah, man, I'm, like, I'm juiced off of it, as you can obviously tell. I work, yeah. <clears throat> what was it? I worked 27 hours in the last two days. I can't remember. Last time I did that with, like, poker as the center of it. You know what I mean? That's a, man, I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed it. It's a... It's what it's about, man. Like you want, you want extraordinary results. You gotta, you gotta put in extraordinary effort. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Anyways, yeah. guys, that's my self help. Now, all right, I'm dropping the mic and I'm going home. I'm telling yeah. you. I'm well, getting... well, you're, you're picking it back up again and doing the questions. Then going. Home. <laughs> uh, so. All right, you should. Uh, you should have. Too bad we didn't have like a 
DJ Dropbox and you could you could like crack the whip sound, you know what I mean? Dance monkey, dance, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right, let's do this first question. Let's go. Okay, the first question is from Anonymous. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, first anonymous one we've had in a while, actually. Yeah, uh, it's quite it's quite long, but I'm going to read. Make, it make up a but, funny name. Make a make up a funny name. You know what I mean? Or like do a callback to something earlier or something. But yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Next time. Show some creativity okay. with your anonymity. I can't. That's one of those words I can't say. Anyhow. Okay. Uh, hello, Alex. I have watched at least once every one of your card runners videos, and you're one of my favorite teachers. I really enjoy the way you approach poker, and as you always say on your videos, focus on the relevant stuff instead of the hands. Everyone knows how to play. I've been playing poker online since mid-2008 and semi-pro since early 2011. After I quit my job, I decided to give online poker a try, as I don't really enjoy working for someone else nine hours a day, five days a week for 11 months a year. I was lucky enough to bink a $26 MTT on full tilt for over 14000 following to a mini tops chop for 36000 After After that, it's mostly gone downhill. Since Black Friday, everything is getting tougher. And no matter how much I study, put in volume, focus, I'm not able to profit a decent amount of money. After downswings, I moved down stakes to an average buy-in of $7. I made a huge mistake of backing a good player who ends up scamming me for $35,000. Yes, I was a trusting idiot. My volume is not huge, but I think it is decent. 500 MTTs a month among five online poker sites. I'm not cocky, but I know I'm better than 90% of the players at my stakes, or at least I'm way more experienced. Still don't manage to profit more than uh, 15 to 20% ROI. I guess it's not completely awful, but it does seem quite poor for low stakes. And even when poker is not as easy as it was, there is still a lot of unexperienced players in the game. The last three to four months has been the torture. I end countless times from eight to 12 of those um, sit-and-go MTTs on minor sites, always on a cooler or a bad beat. You probably have read all about players blaming luck or whatever, but sometimes I truly feel so stupidly unlucky. Every day I manage to make some deep runs and never on the top three. Today, instead of getting angry, I just ended up sad. I bust the final table, and then he's got... uh, On the big eight... Just minutes ago, so sorry, anonymous, but like there's some bad beats here that aren't really uh, relevant. <laughs> no, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, like we're, it's just yeah. And we are, uh, we're, we're, it is the one outer podcast, so we have already allowed the only bad beat that we yeah yeah, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the title. Yeah, I seriously feel like I can't catch a break. I'm sorry I made it this long. Not sure if you're still reading. We are, <laughs> but uh, but I respect. But I respect you as a player, and I want your opinion of how should I approach the game when it feels like every grinding day is the same. Deep runs, but never make money. Keep busting on what should be plus EV spots and few players remaining. I have done everything that occurs to me, including working out. I've lost around 38 pounds in the last three years. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Eating healthy, studying, watching training videos, review my hand history. I appreciate your time uh, reading. Regards. Well, man, uh... Uh, first of all, I thank you for being. I, I can see why you put anonymous. Uh, that's uh, you obviously had to. It was probably pretty hard to write that letter, and I appreciate you writing in and helping us, uh, you know, talk about it. But uh, 
I, first, first thing I got to say, there's a lot of things like I was jotting down notes with your uh, analysis. First thing you said is like, I, I don't like working for somebody else like nine hours a day, five days a week. I don't know what your profession was before poker, but there's a lot of, t a lot of different, I was talking to these two people. I went to go see Adam Carolla live and you know, the way they do like the seating, uh, it, the way they do the seating at some of these venues is like, they put you at a table and like, whoever's at your table is who you're with. Right. And then it's mm -hmm. awkward. It's like this forced date. Right. And anyway, so there was this nice couple that showed up it, thank God. Right. It wasn't some whack job. And, you know, they were like, what do you do for a living? I was like, I play poker professionally. And <clears throat> the, the, the man's wife was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. And I was like, what do you do? And she was like, I'm a server. I was like, most servers out are in professional poker players, I just, just so you know. And she was like, what? I was like, you know, I was like, I'm not going to get into your income or not. But, you know, I'm thinking, you know, Vegas tips with the American tipping style. Right. And then, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I was like, where do you work? It's a very it was a very busy bistro. Right. I was thinking, like, let's say you make like 60 K a year. Right. And then she, you know, she did the like, OK, I'm going to not contend with that. But that seems right. Yeah. You know, and then I was like, the average salary for a professional poker player is 40,000 a year. Right. You have to and the variance you can go through for that is extreme. And like, I'm not doing this to like crap on your dreams, man. I just. It's really important to me, everybody who listens to this podcast, if there's one thing this podcast does, it's not sell you guys BS, right? And there are guys like, you said you're better than 90% of the tournaments. Man, to make like the real salaries, like, and this is no exaggeration, like if you want those six-figure salaries, you've got to be better than 99.9% .9 of the field. And not only do you have to be that good, you have to be that good consistently, you do not get the luxury of off days, right? It just doesn't happen. You have an off day at a 10K, that's $10,000, you know what I mean? So, like, if that's what you're aspiring to, congratulations, you're in an awesome spot right now to learn how to take care of your emotions. This is a test. If you can take care of your emotions at ABIs between $7 to even higher, you can take care of it once it gets higher. Now, the thing is... Uh, the other thing is, I don't know what your profession is, but there's no shame in working, right? For me to get into poker, I knew I was going to need a lot of money because I didn't know that much and I knew I was going to struggle. So the first, let's see, I mean, well, I worked at an Arby's for months to get the money to buy my computer because I, like, I wasn't in a family where I wasn't in a family where I could just get a computer, right? I had to pay for my own internet access because that was not something like you know we we had like uh, all the time eventually we would have it in the house but not at that time right so you know like I, I did that and then I went and I worked as a commercial fisherman that was like literally 110 hour weeks you know what I mean like 16 16 to 18 hours sleep six hours wake up that go at it you know came home worked as a security guard sometimes 16 hours a day but when I wasn't working as a security guard you know I'd like I do eight hours as a security guard. I come home, I play poker for 10 hours. I go to bed. So it was the same 120 hour weeks, right? I did that till I saved up like 7,000 or something. First five months of my professional career, I didn't make a dollar. I was just screwing up, losing, you know what I mean? And that's, uh, it, honestly, that's a lot of poker. A lot of poker is screwing up, not knowing what you're doing. The difference is between like a high earning player and a normal player it looks so subtle, but it is so hard to pick up.
And that's like one of the hardest things about my job is like it takes so in so it's so hard. You need to put in so many years to let your subconscious click in and to get it. And some people, it just doesn't click in at some people. And I'm not saying that's you, but that's why I'm saying there's no shame in working because if it doesn't, if it takes a while to click in, you can just, you know, you, if there's a job you enjoy, right? Not that I enjoy doing security or whatever, but like if the money will make you feel better, you know, it will make you feel stable, you can go and work that job and save the money and then you can go into it. It's also important, I, I'm, I'm suspecting you sound very down, which a lot of times means the only thing going on right now is poker. You've got to find some other hobby, you know what I mean? Uh, a, lot, a lot of the British guys, I mean, a lot of the European guys, it's like football, you know what I mean? You go out there and you like, you know, you run around with your buddies, you kind of like, you know, you do like a dirty elbow once in a while, but you don't really go for his ribs, you know what I mean? You try to, you try to like rough up your buddy a bit, but not really hurt him, right? You come around, you kind of yell at each other, you yell at your teammates. You got a lot of that primal stuff out. In the States, it's, uh, you know, like we go out and play basketball or whatever, right? Or, you know, it's some, like maybe that's, maybe you're not a sports guy, right? I'm not really, uh, I, I, <laughs> the only sport I can really play around here is uh, soccer, football. And, like, if I go out and do that, you know, I'm playing with kids who've been playing for 20 years, so... That's not going to work for me. So, like, I do battle rap, you know what I mean? I rub poetry for other men, you know what I mean? But I really enjoy it. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, like, just the aggression and, like, getting it out and uh, all that, like, really helps me out, you know? And you got to have some of those things, right? you got to have something, you know? I would probably be insane if I didn't have my road work. I, I run five, six miles uh, four times a week usually, and, like, I do it up hills, down hills during the Costa Rican heat because, like, it's not that I enjoy it, but, like, when I sweat that much, when I hurt that much, when I get home, everything seems much more manageable, right? And it's not so much like I'm disciplined or anything. It's more that I need that. You've got to find a little something that does something like that. You know what I mean? It, I don't know what it is. It's really good if it's, like, active, if it gets you out of the house and it gets you some. It could be hiking. It doesn't have to be super intense. You know what I mean? Like hiking is really good. It could be mountain biking. It could be, a, it, it could just, you know, it sounds like you're pretty fit, but it could be mountain biking. You know what I mean? And it, it's good if it has a competitive element. It sounds like you're doing a really good job of sweating off the pounds, but uh, it's good if there's a competitive element too, and it gives you some kind of rush. Now, okay. Uh, the other thing is I don't think you're using all the financial instruments that are beneficial to someone in your spot. Uh, and remind me to get into the back end as well, like losing 35K to the back end if I forget it, right? But uh, the financial instruments, like uh, I did a webinar. Uh, essentially, like I looked at some data and I put together some uh, graphs and stuff and I put, put together some Excel sheets. Correction, my, uh, the people I worked with put together all the, a lot of that stuff because I, <laughs> I don't know how to operate like an Excel sheet, right? But like... Uh, yeah, American education system, woo! <laughs> Not knowing how to use, I love that. They're like, you know, they're, they're like, you guys got to learn trigonometry. And it's like, man, maybe we should teach them how to balance a checkbook and, you know, use a spreadsheet. But yeah, okay, getting back on topic. Uh, take a look at my Twitter, at The Assassinato. Go through that, go through my posts. It, look for the one where I say, this is my first free webinar. Check it out. It's on YouTube. 
It's something I did in conjunction with Two Cards College. And it's essentially, we've proven mathematically, like if you sell pieces of yourself, and it sounds like you've got some pretty certifiable results. If you sell pieces of yourself at a markup, a lot of times you're giving up like 80% of the variance for only 10% of the upside, right? And we've essentially constructed some models where guys like, uh, uh, guys with a lot of money who know all the money is at like, tens and twenties and fifty dollar tournaments but don't have the time to play all of them they can pay a little bit of a markup take a lot of the risk and invest in a lot of these different guys right and really try to play the volume game and you on the back end get a lot of that markup and don't take as much of the variance and really you're you know you you give away uh 10 20 30 percent or whatever it is when you get a big win but it doesn't really matter because the markup is paying you all the time that can really help you get like a stable income. And we show you in the webinar how to get that stable income selling with markup. And uh, it's a really stable system. We've, uh, I've seen it work with a lot of different people. I've done a lot of it with my students. I really worked into this because I hate, I mean, like, honestly, these stories like break my heart because it's, I, I really enjoy poker. Like poker is a really fun game, but it's a very, very difficult profession. It is a very difficult profession. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other jobs you can make much more money with much less effort, with much less stress. And you really have to be kind of sick. You really have to, like, I, I love to compete at final tables, but when you get, I felt exactly the way you're feeling right now. And once you lose kind of that thrill, you, you start wondering, like, why do I do this? You know what I mean? I, that breaks my heart because I know what that, that's like. And it, by the way, every professional poker player goes through this. And guess what? Most of them don't get out of it. Okay, so if the average like lifespan of a poker player is like three, four, five years, um, usually these kids from, come from pretty good socioeconomic backgrounds. They're putting off school. Uh, the poker dream kind of dies. Their parents c convince them to go back to school. A lot of them don't even do that. Uh, a lot of them just kind of get pissy and they go to work at like their dad's hardware store or something like that. And uh, you know, there's no shame in any of that, but what, the real shame to me is not trying. And this is where you get to find out you're a professional poker player. This is where you get to find out right now. It's really easy to be a professional poker player when everything is going well. We don't really know if you have it in you until it goes bad, right? If it goes bad, what we look for, and I mean, this is a legitimate thing. Like, I screen guys for, like, high-stakes backers, right? Like, they send me their applications and everything. I don't know if I've ever said this publicly. What I am looking for more often, and I don't care if you've been running good for a few years, what I want to see is you've been in deep makeup and you got out. That shows grit. That shows determination. That shows perseverance. That is somebody who dug deep and put it forward. I cannot tell you how many times I've looked at an app. The guy's been running amazing for three years. And I said, I think you should pass why Alex? And it's like, I don't like his answers to these questions. This is a very entity focused driven model of thinking. And, uh, this guy thinks he's God's gift of poker. He might not verbalize it. He might know in polite company not to say it, but he doesn't really have a growth mindset. He has a, he has it mindset. Mm -hmm. And they go, well, man, he, this guy's got absurd numbers. I'm putting him on and bam, two years later, guys in 110 K makeup gets at, you know, disappears. Right, like disappears, right? And you don't hear about this a lot because a lot of times the guy like gets on a payment plan, 
where he's like, I'll pay you back 1K per month, like for the rest of my life, essentially. And, uh, but you cannot out me, right? As I go and dupe some other sucker, which I, I'm really always really against, but it's not my personal matter. So I, all I can do is consult. I think this is a stupid idea. But like, I mean, I've been guilty of this too. Like I've, there were a few, well, and then, there was also another time, like get it, I, in a real roundabout way, let's get to your 35K. I, uh, I believe my tally for how much we lost with like backing and stuff was something like $300,000 or something similar to that, right? Which uh, we could buy three different homes in Costa Rica to, get, to give you an idea of like how much money that is given my current country and my current state. And I don't really, you, you can't let that stuff eat you alive. If you really think, focus on the guy and what, what the person did to you, uh, it, it's kind of like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. Um, this is a lesson everybody has to get through. I don't like sharing that amount. Uh, I, I, I can't even remember the last time I did it. It might have been like four years ago or something, right? I think it was on this show the first time I was here. That was like, the, you know, the only time I like to share it is with you and the 100,000 people that download this episode. Nobody else, Barry. That's it. But like, I learned my lesson with $300,000, right? But then I met a guy who learned it with $1 million. All right? A million dollars. And, like, I know how hard it was to get back from that 300K. And, you know, praise be to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I did get out of that hole and, you know, things are going well now, right? But it was pretty hard. And I was pretty focused on how, you know, i had been done wrong. You know, how people who told me, you know, like, you know, I'm down. I'm down for life. You know, just promise me certain things. You just, you know, it told me stuff like, you know, I don't feel like I owe you this money because, you know, Times got tough and you cut me. And then, uh, you know, it's like we had a settlement, yo. <laughs> like, you know, we, uh, you know, and it's like, you know, you could drag it to the, I, I thought about dragging it to the forefront. I, I didn't think I'd ever get my money back. It's just messy. I didn't, I was like, whatever, you know, lesson learned. And the thing I didn't, here's the thing. It really is a lesson. You tried to help your friend. You learned this with 35000 Good. That is going to be a drop in the bucket if you get out of this rut. Okay. I know it doesn't feel like that right now, but lesson learned. Everybody makes mistakes. You made it with 35,000. I did it with 10 times that. And I know people who did it with way more than that. Okay. You, you got off pretty light compared to most professional poker players. I have lost count of the number of my friends that backed all their friends went broke and disappeared from the game. Okay. Here's the thing you got to learn is most people do not have your commitment. You cannot just give people something and expect them to be committed to it. It's, it's the difference between, you know, I always do this, like, you know, like when I tell guys, like when I try to teach this to guys, it's like, you remember in high school, you know, like there was like the pretty girl that liked you, right? Or in college or whatever, there was the pretty girl that liked you and she was like pretty, right? But you, and you liked her, right? But there was that one chick that would just always, like, kind of push you off, you know what I mean? And, like, just kind of, you know, you could tell maybe she liked you, but she was kind of putting you off. And maybe she wasn't even as pretty as the first girl, right? But she was always kind of, like, she made you work for it, you know what I mean? And she made you, like, chase her, you know what I mean? And 
a lot of times guys go nuts for that second girl, right? Whereas the first girl is like, man, there's something a little weird if you're just like so gung-ho for a relationship three days in, you know what I mean? There, there's something a little odd about that. And we, it ends up being like the better relationships in life are like where you guys had to like work to like, in, in, in Spanish, they said you had to conquer her. You had to get her love, man. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing in life. Like, if you didn't have to earn it, it doesn't really mean anything to you. And that doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean the person is a bad person. Uh, it, it, it's just like it's a bad form of education. You know what I mean? It's uh, like they've, they've done this thing in Los Angeles where they're like, we're going to get – this is a big deal in the States. Like, they decided if they gave all kids iPads, it, it, it was going to somehow solve poverty, right? Well, of course, a lot of them just took it home and just sold it. You know what I mean? And there was – a lot of them it just didn't do anything for because, like, they didn't appreciate it and they, like, beat it up or whatever. And uh, it, it's just like when you would go into – using the high school analogy again – there's a lot of times, like, if you go into a high school parking lot, you can tell who had to work summers at Burger King to buy their car, because that car is immaculate, and you can tell who got their car purchased for them, because there's, like, straw wrappers and, like, you know, half-eaten uh, hoagies laying around in the passenger side. They just really don't appreciate it. And the thing with backing is, you know, the person's got to be committed to it in some fashion. And uh, they either have to, you know, they got to be doing something for you. Maybe I, I, one model I do is like they put money down. You know what I mean? It's just like a school. And like if they, if they leave you, that money's gone, right? And even though like sometimes let's say they put 6000 down, right? In the makeup it was like 10000 So technically they made out with four. That's not how it feels to that guy. It feels like 6,000 real dollars was in and 10,000 of make-believe fairy dust money online was lost. And, but he just lost 6K, so he's going to grit it out a bit until he can get that money back, right? And, uh, yeah, I mean, you learned your lesson, but I would say, like, in the future, I would use the financial instruments available to me. Check out that webinar to look for it. Uh, I, I would, you know, you got to develop some passions outside of the game. Uh just something that can help you like get your aggression out. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be long. It's supposed to be tough. Uh, it, it, it always is. Uh, I, I don't know where you're from, but if you, if you speak a language other than English, you can start like posting on the forums and writing articles. And eventually you could be doing lessons and stuff like that to supplement your income. To do that, you have to work a lot for free before anything i wrote tons of articles probably hundreds of articles before i started getting really paid for it for free you know i wrote i wrote it for free and then it, it, it's a business like anything else and also it might not be mtts you really love if you don't want to use the stuff you see in that webinar like maybe you can find like a really good rate back deal on some site i have some friends that you know they admit they're sorely lacking in some departments in poker but they play on like sky poker or whatever you know <laughs> like I know you got you guys got that in the United Kingdom, right, Barry? Yeah. yeah. Sky Poker. And it's like, you know, there's no HUDs and nobody knows anything. And they, they, I have another friend that plays on a South African site and he just cleans up. Uh, another friend who's on a Swedish site that's run by the government uh, th that he just cleans up. Most of my money came from getting into a Russian 
self-effacing site and somehow getting the money out, you know, and that it, you don't have to be the best. You just have to play with the worst, you know? So I, I hope I've given you a bunch of good ideas and man, this is where we yep. find out if you got it. And I, I know I spent some time on this, but this is a really, that was an important question, man. I bet a lot of people had that question. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, we will get another question in. All right. Um, it is from Gareth Jackson. Uh, thanks for answering my last question. The wife said that if I need extra space, then I can go and sit in the car. Uh, <laughs> lol. Uh, anyway, anyway, I've been around. Uh, I've been playing around with Flopzilla and trying to identify spots to get extra value, which is definitely helping my game. My question is. I was wondering what, from a GTO considering uh, game game theory optimal, isn't it? That is a game yeah, theory. Yes, sir. Yeah, from a game theory optimal consideration, should my bluff value ratio be? What should my bluff value ratio be? I've heard that it should be two to one bluff to value, but can't get my head around why that's the case. Also, is even worth me thinking like this, or should I just be looking at individual situations and studying? how to adapt my ranges based on villain tendencies. Um, it, it's like um, the way Ma- Matthew John really explains this the best. You can read his book, Applications of No Limit Hold'em. Uh, you can uh, watch his videos on card runners. He's probably the instructor I've watched the most videos from in the last like three years. Uh, you, if you want to get a discount, like an 80% discount on card runners, by the way, use promo code free month. That's personally for you guys. Uh, that's not really offered to a lot of other people free month, all capital letters. And, uh, essentially the reason that is, is okay. So like when you bet half the pot, uh, your bet needs to work one time out of three, right? So to keep that balance one time out of three, you should have a, uh, you you should have a value hand, and the other two times you should have nothing. That that perfectly works with the ratio. On the turn, you're investing more money, so now it needs to go to one to one. On the river, it needs to be like one bluff for every like two value hands, and these this is assuming like half pot, right? Um, that that if you can understand that first, the flop one, you pretty much understand the rest. It's just how much you're risking dividing. I'll be honest with you. I don't really spend a lot of time on game theory optimal. I don't. Game theory optimal is really important if you're playing uh, cash games. Uh, cash games are really uh, you have to balance quite a bit. The pro- the problem with cash games now is everybody sees an imbalance really quickly, right? So they start taking advantage of that, or if they don't see it really quickly, they start naturally adjusting to it. And everybody's playing pretty much a game theory optimal game, which means the way you get money is to just, you know, you wait for the occasional fish, which comes less and less because they just get a cleaver to their jugular in the first 20 minutes with all the regs. And uh, they're playing game theory optimal, and they're really like rake racing. The reason I like MTTs is people stay imbalanced and horrible, and if they're imbalanced, naturally the defense versus them is going to be imbalanced. And I think if you're playing Game Theory Optimal, that's wonderful if you're playing 60, 80 hours a week and you have like 24 tables on like a 34-inch monitor. But if you're really trying to learn how to play the game, I think you, uh, I, I think you should go situation-specific. And uh, yeah, yeah uh, 
I, I really wish I had more to say on that topic, but I'm not yeah. exactly the greatest game theory expert. It's uh, I'm more of a, I guess it's game theory, the way I like work probabilities and stuff in life. But uh, <clears throat> like, as far as poker, it's more like see an imbalance, exploit the imbalance. You know, that, that really works a lot better for me than yeah. uh, really try. You know, it, I guess like when it comes to like game theory, like this is like uh, I'll give you my overall like tournament strategy, and I think this is like the co not my overall overall tournament strategy, but let's uh like this is as this is what a lot of people describe as like my game theory lessons, which is poker tournaments are not about making the most money from every hand. That's a really common misconception. It's about making fr- money from as many hands as possible. Because it doesn't matter how many chips you have in the final three, you'll still get the lion's share of the money, right? It's about getting as through, through as many hands as possible, which means since the blinds are going up constantly, you know, and you need new chips to survive, that means getting money from as many hands as possible. Now, the way to do that is when you have hands that work one way and they work another way, but there's another group of hands that only work the first way, you use the first group of hands for what they're designated for. So like 9-7 <clears throat> suited works well as a 3-bet semi-bluff, but it doesn't work well as a flat. But 9-8 suited works well as a 3-bet semi-bluff, and it works well as a flat. 9-7 um, suited then should go in your 3-bet bluffing range, and 9-8 suited should go in your flatting range. So, so you don't like have this... You, in a vacuum, the 3-bet bluff will work so often, but if you continue to exploit it, it's going to be a diminished return time after time after time. So what you're trying to do is use every hand for everything. And it's the same thing with, uh, like, sizings. Let's say somebody opens and you have jack-10 offsuit, and you notice they fold a lot on the C-bet, and they fold a lot to a 3-bet. Well, with the jack-10 offsuit, you should do a smaller three-bet to play post-flop because that hand has some post-flop potential and then take advantage of the flop C-bet, fold the C-bet. And when you have like a seven offsuit, which is a horrible hand to play post-flop and has a great deal of reverse implied odds, you should just use it as a three-bet bluff. Uh, that, I think, is as close to like balancing in game theory optimal as I get. And uh, I think that's... I, I think that, and that's the reason why cash games are so difficult, is in cash games, you do have to three bet that nine, eight suited a certain percentage of the time. And then you do have to flat that nine, seven suited like one time out of 20. One way you can do this that was successful for me, I never really got any that much further than two, four. Like I played five, 10 and 10, 20, but like I wasn't good. You know what I mean? I was just kind of barely holding on. 2-4 was really where I made my money. And what I would do is I would, like, just say the frequency I wanted. Like, let's say that, like, one time out of 20. And then I'd go to random.org, and I would put 1 to 100, and I'd be like, if this number is 1, 2, 3, or 4, or 5, I'll call, right? And, you know, let's say I want to 3-bet the 9-7 suited, like, 25% of the time, and the other 75% of the time fold it. Well, if this random number is between 1 and 25, I 3-bet it and 25 to 100, uh, I fold it. This sounds like very silly, but it, it's, it's just like if you've ever entered a rock, paper, scissors competition and you like just randomize it, 
there's a lot of guys that have done that and they go really far because there's there are professional rock paper scissors players who can like just read what you're going to do and if you remove that it's very difficult to play against and it's the same thing in poker these guys subconscious is much more cultivated than anybody that's doing a parlor trick with rock paper scissors that they've invested at maximum 500 hours like some of these guys have invested 20,000 hours on poker so Anything you can do to randomize it and set some ranges will get you much further on the case of Game Theory Optimal. And to get into the more, I, I, I kind of digress from going into like flop dynamics, turn dynamics, river dynamics, because those are much more complicated and very hard to verbally express over the radio. But I really recommend you check out Matthew Jonda's videos on card runners. I've learned more from Matthew Jonda than, I don't know, like it's like him and Ape Styles who are both card runners instructors, which is why I'm really happy to be, not that I haven't learned from other people. It just happens to be those guys have the rest of the people are like really solid that I watch, but like the most creative ideas, the most innovation, the most like actual seeking of new answers you will find in ape styles, ape styles, who's the best empty tier online of all time, in my opinion. And then Matthew John, who's probably the best theorist. You know, those guys are really fun to watch, and I really implore you to check out their videos. They're really uh, – it's a lot of work, but it's really fun. He just had, like, as a sort of side thing, in a similar vein, he sees uh, Game Theory Optimal Strategy as a middle-of-the-road strategy, which yeah. he can ad- he can adapt one way or another based on villain tendencies. So, for example, opening wider versus tighter blinds and tightening up versus aggressive blinds. Is this the right way to think about things? Yeah, that's a, that is a bit of a way to think about things. Uh, one thing, I, I, just going into balancing in like GTO, right? There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people that say like Game Theory Optimal would say, you need to open Queen Nine of Diamonds like twenty percent of the time from hijack, right? And uh, there's a lot of like tournament players that say like you should open that a hundred percent of the time because on average people are weak in in later positions i'm i'm the of the opinion that you shouldn't randomize that queen nine suited uh it should be adjusted to are the people like like you're saying there uh gareth like are the guys like three betting me a lot from the button if they're three betting me a lot are they like two xing it which means i can profitably play my hand are, are they 2.53 xing it, which means I have to fold? Uh, are the blinds just calling me and check folding a lot? Or is everybody behind me just a boss? And here's my thing, which I have changed over the last, like, two months. Like, I've been actually, I don't know how this came in, but I, I, I thought it'd be cool to bring this up. And I, I don't know how it so naturally came in. But uh, I, I've been, like, studying my game, like, the last couple months because I was, like, I've been very unhappy with my game, even though there's been some results. Like, I can just feel the control kind of slipping away in different spots. And I noticed people are just – the average player is just active enough now to make, like, before that Queen 9 suited was always an open because people were they, they, people were a little more hesitant. They, 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 would, they would find folds a little more often. Now everybody's just a little more bold, a little more educated, and they play back just a little bit more. And the difference is ever so slight, but the, 
change you have to do, I think, is like when you don't know anything, you have to fold now. The queen nine suited, whereas I always used to open because you just don't know what you're getting into. And it used to be when you didn't know what you were getting into, what you would eventually find is a bed of folds. There was a, you would fall into a bed of folding, and it would happen a lot. Now it's a bed of re-raises and uh, floating and people who just play really well. And a lot of people have said, oh, that's been going on for years, Alex. And I was like, I don't believe that. I don't think it was for a really long time, uh, especially if you were off like poker stars or something. And then I'm realizing, by the way, I always poke fun at poker stars because they're the behemoth or whatever. But this is why I was struggling on poker stars a lot more is the players were just better. And I was taking this strategy that was very effective on 888, full tilt. Oddly, on full tilt, it would be the same players, but they were just so distracted with all their poker stars tables. The full tilt tables were like an afterthought, so they were folding more. This strategy would be very effective just opening that queen nine suited 100% of the time on 888, Titan, full tilt, merge, America's card room, what have you. But it was grossly ineffective on poker stars. And then I just was going over my hands the last few days. I was like, that's every site now. So I was butchering myself on poker stars, and that was my own fault. And now I was doing it on all the sites. So I was like, okay, here we go. Tight is right. Tight is right. I'm going to pretend this is like six max cash. Most people know what they're doing. And then we had the million-dollar final table. And then like this week, it's been like the five final tables and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So it definitely uh, I, I, the adjustment – is very good, but the other thing game theory optimal means uh, it, to me is like what not game like game theory optimal assumes everybody is playing optimally, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's a bad way to adjust. But there is a game theory also means like if this is the strategy they're going to take, these are the frequencies you're going to take. And it game theory books are really fascinating when it comes to like you know how it's applied to war, like. How can you apply game theory to war? And a lot of the examples I've read in like, uh, like even like maritime disputes are really interesting. You know, it's like China and the United States show up and it's like, you know, what is the equity if this one box on this Uh island in the South China Sea, right? And it's just, it's so interesting to see how these people like take it apart, right? But a lot of the equity model is driven by like, what is... Uh, what what is what is the general texture of what the enemy uh, how does the enemy approach this typical and the enemy is the field in tournament poker because you do not know most of the field right so you have to ask yourself what does this nation the field of players on this site what do they do and what is the adjustment and it might be different for each site you know what i mean there's a like on America's card room, I'm a little more careful about what I open because uh, I, Americans really like to show like how gangsta they are. You know what I mean? And then there's like, uh, like, uh, let's see, like a, like an 888 poker later on. Are I think the time banks are a little faster or the players are a little more recreational, but they just find a fold a little more often because I think they get a little flustered. So I open mm-hmm. a little bit more, but ask yourself how that field plays. And then try to come up with an adjustment to that. And I think that'll uh, behoove you a bit more than, you know, trying to completely, I don't know. I see people like really try to decipher that. And I've never seen like incredible results. But when I say put it onto the field you're playing against, there, there do seem to be results. And then you can kind of like backwards engineer reading through like Ed Miller's and Matthew John's stuff 
and construct a proper strategy for that. Yeah, it's, it's always funny you touched on it there about game theory assumes that everybody's playing optimally. That used to really piss me off with economics. Like for, <laughs> yeah. for, for four years, you know, I graduated, got my degree in it. It was like, assume that the market, you know, is everyone's acting rationally. And I was like, you just got to look outside and know that yeah, yeah. No, not everybody is acting rationally, you know. So, well, like, yeah, I, I understand it with certain things. Like, it's more like limit hold them and that. But it's the old thing about, like, no limit hold them, especially in tournaments like playing. People speak about playing game theory optimally in like ten dollar, eight dollar tournaments. I'm like, well, you're probably the only one. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're, everybody you're, else you're is just fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, there's this book called Your Money and Your Brain. Uh, it's it's by it, it's this new field of neuroeconomics. It's really interesting. It's also reflected in uh, it, it. It's also reflected in uh, what was that book called? It was written by uh, I think it was an Israeli writer. Uh, it, it was called oh God. I, I'm not, I Black Swan. The Black Swan. The Black The Black Swan was uh, the Black Swan was very good. His book's uh, Talib, I think, is his name. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was is he Israeli as well? He's I a, don't know. Uh, he's, uh, there's another one that it's like, ah, oh God, it was it like uh, thinking fast and slow. That was the book. oh Think, Daniel. Yeah, exactly. A, a fascinating book. That's really good. But uh. Just to see like how people react to financial rewards and financial punishments is fascinating. Like it's very irrational, right? And something you were saying, oh god, there was something you reminded me of. Oh yeah, but like this is uh, just if I can whine about American politics, but this is why I laugh. I I turn on presidential debates because it's like watching professional wrestling to me. I can't believe anybody thinks this is real. Any economist, you know. You want to talk about people acting rationally. The United States debt situation is at the point you could kill every rich person in the United States, take all their money, and you're still screwed, right? So the Republicans and Democrats, like, arguing about it is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, it's like, we're, you know, it doesn't mean we're going down because there's a financial interest in the rest of the world to prop up the United States because of what place the dollar has in the global economy, but we're going to be much more reliant on being propped up than a lot of people realize. And everybody getting behind – it's just like getting behind mankind in The Rock if you're getting behind Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I can't believe anybody takes this seriously. You know, it's just yeah. – I, I, it's bizarre to me. And this is, by the way, the largest economy on earth, and we are doing this. You know what I mean? So if the largest economy on earth can commit suicide fiscally – and the rest of the world is going to follow, and, and you are going to construct a model of strategy of how I should approach my life and how I should approach my livelihood that assumes rationality, that, that just blows my mind. It, it literally separates it. Like, it just, it doesn't literally separate it. I was going to say, I feel like, I feel like my brain is literally separating is what I was going to feel. I do feel like my head is just like, it can't take it. Like, it's like there's air seeping into my mind or something. Like, I just don't get it. That was what I meant to say. Anyway, anywho. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the dogs barking. That's so, it. And they're uh, like, wrap we, it up. I need Yeah, to I'll wrap it up. We don't have time for another question. We'll, um, the next guy we've got is Justin. So, Justin, if you're listening, you'll be on the next show. You'll be first on next show, I promise. Um, okay, Alex, how can people get in touch with you for private coaching lessons, etc., and all? 
all your good deals, Twitch, etc., etc. If you got man, my uh, by the way, I gotta say my dogs are racist, and I don't I don't really know why they are, but they always bark at the a certain colored people that walk by, and they don't bark at other colored people, man, and that's really messed up because I know a lot of dogs that do that. They're doing that right now, and it's like, dude, like you know, and it's. It's really weird, and they oh, you got some clan dogs. Yeah, like, exactly. They, they, all, they all they are all white. I am a yeah. I am suspicious now. You know what I mean? One one is a French pool. It's uh, but yeah, he's uh, he he kind of has a snobby look to him. You know what I mean? Perhaps he's a little set in his ways, as people would say. But okay, all right. Uh, check uh, check out pokerheadrush.com. That's my blog. Uh, you can check out all the trip reports. I mean, it's like, essentially, we do more fun stuff like this, and, uh, you know, there's, like, battle rap, there's, like, uh, there's book reviews, there's me ranting about random things in life, and there's also, like, strategy articles, and a lot of my friends stop by that have really interesting things to say. We had Thinking Poker's Carlos Welch on there, uh, John Wood, my mental coach, writes articles occasionally, uh, my friend Javier uh, writes uh, Spanish-language strategy articles. And, uh, I mean, I would, I Google translated one of those just because I thought it was so good and it was, uh, you can check out that stuff and you can do that stuff if you want. Um, for private lessons, write us at assassinocoaching at gmail.com. We have a lot of new options. Uh, if you and four of your friends up to four of your friends want to do a group lesson, it's just $200 an hour. So that ends up costing each of you $40 an hour. So if you guys, I know there's a lot of like hand history, uh, there, there's a lot of like guys that come together and they review their hand histories and stuff, but you guys don't have like the, you know, if you're playing like $20, $30 tournaments, you don't necessarily have like the $210 for a full lesson. Well, this is your guys' option. I put this together for you. You guys can get together, you know, pool your money. And then we do like a one hour to set, one, one hour and 15 minute lesson. I go through your hand histories and I just deck out what you guys need to change to start increasing your equity by 10, 15, 20%. And then, uh, yeah, be sure you can also get like a lecture uh, from me. That's two hundred and ten dollars per hour. Essentially, I look at your database on Poker Tracker, hold a manager. I find your specific leagues. I give you a lecture on it, and then I can give you four to twelve hours of homework, which are just further lectures of mine uh, th that you can review. And uh, a lot of them are the webinars. I made the webinars because I was repeating myself so much in lessons that I never got to finish my thought that I was like, finally, I'm going to do this all. And you're all going to be educated, dang it. And I'm going to do this better than anyone <laughs> the first time I do it. So I don't have to do this again. So I'll send that, you know, it's essentially like free webinars with your lecture, right? If you guys haven't bought into that, it's the most like value added lesson we've had. And if you want to just do a hand history review personally, if you don't want your friends knowing all the pearls of wisdom i'm going to drop upon you uh it's 150 an hour right now and uh yeah be sure to follow me on twitter at the assassinato uh also favorite us on itunes tell everybody about this podcast and uh yeah you know tell a friend about it sign up on america's card room get 27 percent right back that really helps supplement the show income shows income and that allows us to keep the lights on here I will reward you, reward you with a free webinar. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, we talked about that a bit more on the show. You can write us at assassinhourcoaching at gmail.com. For any further details, be sure to favorite my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash theassassinato. 
get notifications every single time we stream. Watch. See how the fudge is packed. See how we win this 100 rebuy at the, you know, see how we win 100 rebuys. And also $12 turbos on 888. See how you can win high stakes and low stakes tournaments. And listen to my long digressions about random things as I do it. And also I do a lot of hand history analysis. And it's free, by the way. It's just free, man. You can just check it out. And if you subscribe, you get access for 60, 60 days. And then, yeah, I think that's... Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Follow me on Twitter at the Assassin Auto. Tweet me if you got any questions. You know, we'll handle it. And uh, yeah, yeah, we good. Cool. Okay. Until the next episode, keep your questions coming in for Alex. Email questions at oneouter.com or tweet at oneouter.com or post them in the Facebook group, and we will read them out. Until the next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The dates for the next Million Dollar Sundays are locked in. Wondering what a million bucks looks like? Every Sunday in October, America's Card Room is putting $1 million guaranteed on the table. On Sunday, October 4th, 11th, 18th, and 25th, we're bringing our famous Million Dollar Sunday, a $1 million guaranteed poker tournament with a gigantic $200,000 cash prize for first place. Don't miss out on your biggest payday yet. AmericasCardRoom.com